Father, we, this, is, this is your word, God. You have given us these words and these pages. To us, they look like words, but they are your words. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit would make them real in our heart. The Holy Spirit would help us understand what you want us to hear today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Don't you wish that someone would write a law that said you have to do less, that you have to stop, that you have to rest, that you're not allowed to overwork yourself? Well, did you know that in Massachusetts, we don't quite have a law that says that, but we have a law that is similar. We have what are known as blue laws. Maybe you know what a blue law is. It has to do with Sunday. So I thought I really wanted to keep your interest, so I would put some law up on a slide for us to read. So this is a blue law about Sunday. It says, whoever on Sunday keeps open his shop, warehouse, factory, or other place of business, or sells foodstuffs, goods, wares, merchandise, or real estate, or does any manner of labor, business, or work, except works of necessity and charity, shall be punished by a fine of not less than $20, nor more than $100 for a first offense, and a fine of not less than $50, nor more than $200 for each subsequent offense. And each unlawful act or sale shall constitute a separate offense. This is our next foundation verse. (laughs) So pretty much what that says is, Most businesses aren't supposed to do work to sell on Sundays here in Massachusetts. Now, if you look up Massachusetts blue laws online, you'll very quickly notice that there is, yes, this law, and it seems very hard. And if you look at, like, Market Basket and all these places around, they don't seem like they're kind of keeping this law. But then there are a lot of loopholes. There's a lot of businesses listed as necessities. And you'll be interested by some of these necessities uh, uh, that, that, that kind of gets around the law. So I just chose a, a selection of four. Four of these businesses that can get around this law. Number 12. The operation of public bathhouses. So you can still have public bathhouses on Sunday. So if you're in need of a bathhouse, you're okay. Number 24, the making and baking of bakery products and the sale thereof in a shop or store. So that that sort of makes sense because, well, if you're not supposed to bake goods on Sunday and take a day off, well, you know, hopefully a store will sell those as well. Number 26, the sale and delivery of ice. So that is okay on Sunday. That kind of makes sense. You know, you don't want all your food to go bad. Number 47 is a definite necessity, the sale of tickets or shares for the state lottery. I don't know why that is, but that is, that is acceptable in Massachusetts on a Sunday. Now, we create all sorts of laws to restrict ourselves, and then in the very next like law section, we decide all the ways that we can get around the law so that we don't have to really listen to that first kind of command. Well... We treat the scripture in a similar way. If you read the Old Testament, God also gave his people, the nation of Israel, the command to respect the Sabbath, to keep it holy. 
But then as we go through the scripture and we look at Israel, yes, there were things that, uh, that they weren't supposed to do, but then we kind of look for ways, well, how can we get around this? Not take a day off, not take a day to rest. So today we're looking at how the Sabbath, the Old Testament law, how it applies to you and me, and then we're also kind of looking at some of the loopholes that we use to get around it. God commanded Israel to take a Sabbath day in the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments, uh, maybe you've read them. They appear in uh, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, they're, you know, uh, don't have any other gods before me. Don't create false images. Don't blaspheme. Uh, take a Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. Uh, number six is uh, don't commit murder. Number seven is don't steal. Number eight is... Now, number seven is don't commit adultery. Number eight is don't steal. Number nine is don't give false testimony. And number 10 is coveting your neighbor's property. Don't do that as well. So these are the 10 commandments. And one of them, the fourth, is to honor the Sabbath day. And God gave these to the nation of Israel. Now, these, these rules, these laws, especially the Sabbath law, they seem kind of restrictive. But God gave the nation of Israel the Sabbath as, a, as an act of kindness, as a gift. See, God gave Israel Sabbath law in order to give them rest. I'm going to read verses 8 through the first half of 10, so 10a. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. God gave Israel the Sabbath in a unique way, in a way that I think he doesn't necessarily give it to us. So what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is uh, from Friday evening to Saturday evening. It's a day set aside uh, that the nation of Israel would rest and not do any work. Now, this concept of starting the day in the evening instead of, so in our culture, we start the day in the morning. When we get up in the morning and hit the alarm clock, that's our day. But their day was in the evening before. And believe it or not, that actually starts in Genesis chapter 1. So if you read through Genesis, it says, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was evening, and then it was morning the first day. So it doesn't start with it was morning, and then it was evening. So it's kind of an interesting connection that just like we see Sabbath in Genesis chapter 2, we also see this concept of the day beginning in the evening. Now this is a quick side note. But if you want to find more rest during your week, something you can do is start your evenings, start your days in the evening. So go to bed to start your day. What a better, what's the the best way to start your day is asleep. Kind of viewing that as a time to, to rest, to kick off, to not feel like I have to begin my day in anxiety, but I begin my day in rest and reliance on God. But that's a different sermon. So we see the word Sabbath. We don't see the word until Exodus chapter 16, but the root of that word, like we talked about last week when we kicked off this series, it does appear in Genesis chapter 2 when it says God rested. So the word rest is sabbat. So God God, uh, took a day to 
rest. And we see uh, the word Sabbath appear in Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. So there's this section in the book of Exodus where Moses has just told the people, God is going to give you manna from heaven, and you're to collect manna six days a week, but then on, uh, on Friday you're to collect more manna. You're to collect a double portion so that on Saturday, so that on the Sabbath, you can rest. So that's where we first see Sabbath. Now, there were all sorts of laws surrounding the Sabbath. Well, there's a handful. There were prohibitions, which are like negative commands, don't do this. And then there were positive commands, do do this. The negative prohibitions were don't gather food, don't plow or harvest, don't light a fire, don't gather wood. Okay, so those are the, the negatives. How about the positives? Do give the Sabbath day as a day off to your servants, to your animals, and to your foreigners. Now, God gave uh, the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments at a unique uh, point in history. If you have read the Old Testament or as you come to Cornerstone and learn the Old Testament, you'll see that, uh, uh, that God's people, the nation of Israel, were taken into captivity, into slavery for 400 years. And then one day, God called up a man named Moses, who was a prophet. And Moses led the people out of Egypt. He led them out of slavery to Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is where God gave the nation of Israel the law, which included those Ten Commandments, and specifically the law about Sabbath. Now, if you read Genesis, if you, well, if you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy... So those are the uh, kind of the, the second four books of the Bible. We have the first and then the following books. You'll see a lot of law, and it can come across as confusing and sometimes a little boring because we don't understand what applies to us and what doesn't. And so in order for us to help, uh, in, in order for us to understand the law, we need to understand kind of the, the law categories. I think there were primarily three categories now, these are three categories that we as Christians have made up, but if you look at the Old Testament, you read them through that, they seem to make sense. So there are three types of law. There's civil law, there's ceremonial law, and there's moral law. And I want us to understand these as we go through and look at the Sabbath. So the first type of law is civil law. So these are pri primarily like judicial rulings, uh, judicial um, uh, kind of punishments if you broke the law, if you did something wrong. So if you struck and murdered a man or a woman or a pregnant woman or an ox, these are the punishments that you would get. Now these types of laws were very good, in fact. If you compare the nation of Israel's ancient law code to other ancient cultures, like the Code of Hammurabi, uh, you'll see that ours uh, protects the, right, uh, the rights of lower classes, of women, of slaves, and other ancient codes do not do that as well. So you can compare civil law in our culture to like speeding tickets, or if you're caught like burglarizing, or any other sort of crimes today. Now, the civil laws that we're going to read in the Old Testament, they applied to the nation of Israel. They were temporary, so they don't apply to you and to me today. We don't have to go out and stone our ox if it gores a man. We have other things that we do. 
But I do believe that aspects of this Sabbath law also fit into this category. So Sabbath is a civil law. And I think we see this in Numbers 15, 32 through 36, where we see the punishment for breaking the Sabbath. And thank you, Ben Kingsbury, for pointing out this passage to me uh, because he thinks this is a very interesting passage, and he's right. So Numbers 15, 32 through 36 While the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses." This is kind of a frightening story. Now, in our culture, we wouldn't put someone to death for doing work on Sabbath. We didn't see that in the blue law. That's why I think this aspect, the punishment aspect, would fit into that category of civil law. Now, a quick side note on this. I'm having a couple side notes today. But when, God, when, when, when God's people are just beginning to form, God protects them extra. And so one of the reasons we see such a severe punishment is because like when you have a baby, you want to protect your baby. The nation of Israel is in its infancy form right now. And so at the beginning of Israel's history, through which one day Jesus will come, God is protecting them. And he wants them to be a holy people, to be set apart. And so you can see a New Testament example of this in Acts chapter 5, uh, the, when the church, when the, when the Christians are beginning to form. And that's the chapter where Ananias and Sapphira are put to death uh, for trying to deceive the Holy Spirit. So it's the same concept here as in Acts chapter 5. So you can write that down and look at that later. So the first category is civil law, and then the second category is ceremonial law. These are kind of the religious rituals in the Old Testament. These are also temporary to the nation of Israel. Now, this, ca- this category includes guidelines for what is clean food, so fish, chickens, everything like that. What is unclean food, shellfish, pigs, This also includes how to worship God, the the different offerings. So you'd offer a bull, uh, a sheep, turtle doves, pigeons. Now, in our culture, we don't really have laws that say how we have to worship God. But other cultures in our world do. So Sharia law, if you look in the Middle East, the government says how to live. And even at times, like how to worship God in the kind of the Islamic context. Context. Now, ceremonial laws, like I said, are temporary, and I think they come to an end with Jesus because he becomes the perfect sacrifice. And if you read another chapter in the, in the book of Acts, if you read Acts chapter 10, uh, one of the early disciples, a man named Peter, gets a vision of all sorts of unclean animals, and God says, take and eat. And first, Peter says, no, I don't want to do that. But then God says, you know, what I have made clean is indeed clean. So that came to an end with Christ. Now, I believe that aspects of the Sabbath are ceremonial law as well. So they're civil, they're ceremonial. Like how it marks Israel as God's Old Testament people. Exodus 31.13 says this, Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. 
This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. So here, God uses the Sabbath as a way to kind of religiously mark his people apart from all the surrounding nations that didn't treat Sabbath with the same reverence. They didn't uh, care about this one day in seven. I hope that makes sense. So God chooses, God uses uh, Israel, he gives them civil and ceremonial laws to show his own holiness, to say, I am a holy God, you have to take me seriously, but also to set Israel apart, to make them different, to distinguish them from kind of the pagan cultures that didn't believe in the one true God. See, God doesn't want his people to act or look the same as the world. God expects you and me as well in our culture to look different. And one of the ways we can look different is by taking a day to rest, to worship God, to prioritize him. Now, these laws, they did have benefits, like not eating pigs, not eating shellfish. There were health benefits, but ultimately it was about honoring God and setting Israel apart. The third category is what I call moral law. Moral law doesn't just apply to the nation of Israel. It applies to all people for at, in all times in all places because it reflects God's character. There's something in these laws that reflects who God is. Now, this category includes laws that you and I inherently, from the, the kind of the depth of our core, know to be true. So don't murder. We all know that's wrong. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Now, there are other places where it's a little confusing. Does this reflect God's character or not? And so you can look in the Old Testament, and you can look at the different laws, and they had penalties associated with them. And for some of these, the, the, the penalty was death. And I think anytime you see a death penalty associated with a law, that kind of says it's true to God's nature. And so there was a death penalty associated with adultery. There was a death penalty associated with homosexuality. And we see these things reflecting God's character. They were different than like the shellfish law or the, the, the eating the pig law because they didn't have the same, uh, the same punishment. Now, even then, it's a little confusing. And so you need to look at the breadth of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and kind of track the story of these different topics. So we see that adultery is wrong in Exodus, and it's going to be wrong in the New Testament as well. So you can look to Jesus' teaching and figure it out that way. And if I were to show you an example of a uh, kind of a Sabbath text that reflects God's moral law, I would just show you the Ten Commandments, what we're reading today, where God says, uh, you know, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So I believe the Sabbath is civil, it's ceremonial, and it's moral. And the moral component of the Sabbath is not necessarily when we worship God, when we take a day of rest, but it's who we worship, that we worship the one true God, and how we worship, that we worship in faith, that we, that we have a day of rest, that we rely on him. Now, I'm going to talk about this more next week in Mark. We're looking at the New Testament. We're going to look at some of Jesus' teachings. So if some of your questions aren't answered today, hold on. But remember, God gave the nation of Israel Sabbath law, not to bind and restrict them, but to give them a blessing, to give them a day to rest, to worship him. It's a gift. 
Now, a year ago in January, my mother-in-law, so Monica's mom, gave Monica and me a trip to Disney World. Pretty cool. Went down to Florida. And she wanted us to have a lot of fun on this vacation, but there were a couple expectations. There were a couple rules if we were to go on this free trip. For example, we had to get out of bed before noon. We had to eat the food at Disney World. We had to eat the food at Epcot, all those different nations. We had to eat it around the park. And then we had to stay late at the parks, late at night. Now, to be honest, I got a little bit cranky at some points because it wasn't exactly always how I wanted to do it. But the cool thing was, is I got to experience Disney World. It blessed me. And I would not have experienced the blessing in the same way. I wouldn't have had as much fun unless I had kind of followed those rules, followed those expectations. God gave Israel Sabbath rules for their own good. And to us, they can seem a little restrictive, a little hard, but ultimately they were meant as a gift to give them rest, to be a blessing. Now, if you go to Disney World, you're probably going to go about it in a different way than I did, with kind of different rules, different expectations, how you're going to get the most fun out of it, which makes sense. You may go on all the rides, you may not. And I think when we look at Christianity today, there are going to be similarities between the old and the new, between kind of how Israel was supposed to obey the Sabbath. There's going to be similarities between them and us, the Christian, the modern church, but there's also going to be differences. See, God gives all his people Sabbath rest to set them free. Verses 10b through 11 say this, On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. I believe that God gives all of his people, all those who know God in a truly saving way, Sabbath rest. Now, last week, I defined Sabbath for you as one day in seven set apart to rest, to worship God, and to play. So when I, take you, uh, when, I, when I say you should take a Sabbath, I'm saying you should take a Sabbath. I'm not saying you should take the Sabbath. So you notice the difference there? Well, if I were to say take the Sabbath, I'd be saying you got to do it just like Israel. But instead I'm saying take a personal day of, of rest and trusting in God and worshiping him. Take a Sabbath. Now I think as we read this passage, we can see how uh, kind of principles that we can then apply to our Sabbath, to how we worship God and rest together today. It says... Uh, God kind of protects several people groups. First, the commandment starts with you. It says, you shall not work. See, finding a day of rest, it begins with individual ownership. You and I need to take responsibility for that in our own lives. We can't blame it on our circumstances. We can't blame it on our bosses. We can't blame it on anyone else. We need to, to be serious about setting apart a day of rest in our own lives, taking ownership for that. Next, it says, nor your sons or your daughters. See, parents are to model a day of rest for their children. 
They can't say, ah, oh, we're going to rest, but you need to do the dishes. <laughs> That's not how it's supposed to work. How about this? Nor your male or female servants. Now, we don't have servants in our culture. We don't have slaves. But if you are a supervisor or you're a manager and you're in charge of other people, you need to be thinking about how can I make sure that they have time to rest on the weekend? It doesn't matter if they don't know Jesus. How can they rest? So this means I can apply this in my own life by not asking our cornerstone office administrator to do a whole bunch of work on Sunday if that's her day of rest. Have any of you been to Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A's philosophy is we shut down on Sundays so that we can encourage our employees to rest. This is a quote, to rest, spend time with family and friends, and worship if they so choose. And then there's this line that says, it's part of our recipe for success. I really like that. Is a day of rest, a time set apart for God, part of your recipe for success? I think God made it a part of his recipe for success. We see that in Genesis chapter 2. So the question is, are you going to incorporate that into your recipe for life, into your recipe of success? Not your animals. I I, I don't know if any of you are going to be working your animals too hard this week, but uh, a need for rest is built into the creation. Also, not for foreigners, the, the foreigners, the aliens living among us, they were also to rest. See, when we, when we set apart a day to trust God, to rely on him, to not feel like we have to kind of justify ourselves, that is a witness to other people saying, I trust in God more than I trust in my, my need to achieve, my need to, to win, my need to uh, climb the corporate ladder. I trust in him. We see this, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire. Uh, it's about an Olympian who went to the Olympics, I don't know, 60s, 70s, 50s, it was, it was a while ago, and uh, he was uh, kind of scheduled to compete on Sunday, and he said, I'm, uh, I, I guess I can't compete then because I really want to be in church worshiping God that day. And so he didn't compete, but then another one of the runners gave him the opportunity to compete in in his category, and then he went on and won. That was a witness to other people. God gives all of his people, you and me today, Sabbath rest. Now, one of my best friends uh, growing up was a Messianic Jew. So maybe some of you know what that means. It's someone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, but they also kind of practice their Jewish heritage. It's who they are. It's who they grew up being. But they believe that their salvation is not through those things. It's through Christ Jesus. And when I think about, like, Sabbath, I always think of him. I think of the Wiseman family. That was their name, the Wisemans and Joseph. Because their house had a feeling of rest. It had, a, it had calmness. It had, um, it had stillness. It was inviting. And the funny thing is, they did this by, they made their home inviting in a place of peace by actually uninviting people. <laughs> See, they kept Saturday as a family day where it was just them, and they were going to get together as a family and prioritize each other. And I would sometimes invite Joseph over on Saturdays to my house, but that almost never worked. And, but, but sometimes you could go and you could join their family on their Sabbath day. 
And by somehow, it's like the opposite, but by somehow prioritizing that day of rest, they were willing to give more of themselves the other days of the week, creating a truly kind of Sabbath rest home that reflected God's love for people. I invite your family, I invite you to set aside a day for the worship of God, for play, for for growing as a family, and for true renewal. God gives us Sabbath so that we would grow deeper in our love for him, but also in our love for each other. And I don't think it's wrong to hang out with fellow believers on kind of your day of rest, not at all. But is it an act of rest? Is it an act of kindness, not only for them, but for you? God gives all his people Sabbath rest to set them free. I believe that Sabbath rest sets us free. Now, our passage today says, it kind of answers the why. So why should we rest? Well, God rested on the seventh day. We studied that last week. Kind of, there's a call, be like God. But there's another copy of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we, hear, we see kind of the same law, but, but a different reason is given for it. Deuteronomy 5.15 is the other reason for why to honor God with a day of rest, with the Sabbath. It says, i got to put up on the screen here, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. See, the nation of Israel spent 400 years in slavery. You know what that means? They went 400 years without a single day off. Always under the command of Pharaoh, of the other Egyptian taskmasters. Always, always, always having to obey, having to work. And God is saying, I delivered you from those circumstances. Why would you then come out of bondage, out of slavery, and put yourself into bondage to something else, to something far more sinister, to yourself and to your own demands, to your own unique taskmaster that lives right up here? You know what God did to the taskmasters? He flooded them. (laughs) He killed them all. He killed, uh, so when Moses led the nation of Israel out, he led them through the Red Sea, and then the the army, Pharaoh's army, followed them, and then they were all dashed to pieces, drowned as the, the, the Red Sea came back on them. God is serious about a day of rest. He wants to deliver us from bondage to those taskmasters. Are you enslaving yourself to your career, to your personal goals, to your list of things you always have to do. It is so hard for me to like sit and pray for like 10 or 15 minutes because I can always think of something on my reminders list or my phone or my calendar that I just need to plug in. But that is not God's way. God wants us to come to rest, to not look at email, to not look at those other things, to not worry about the demands. We will go on. We will survive without having to do every single one of them right now. God gives us freedom. God gives us liberty, and he gives it in a very practical way. Christianity isn't just this abstract religion of the clouds. It matters for your everyday. 
Sabbath rest sets us free. We are not saved by our works, by our need to always accomplish something. We are saved by God's grace, by God's love. And one of the ways he shows us love is by calling us to to stop, to rely on him, to trust him. See, we have Sabbath freedom. We have a day of rest because we have freedom through Jesus Christ. Now, at Cornerstone, we don't think that the Sabbath has transferred into Sunday. I just want to get that clear. We we don't even think that the Sabbath is necessarily Saturday. We don't think that at all. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. He fulfills civil law. He fulfills ceremonial law. He, He perfectly honored the Sabbath God's way. Jesus always obeyed it. He always did a great job. And because of that, if you believe in Jesus, if you put your faith in him, it's like that's your record. You did it perfectly too. And so you're set free from that. And in the New Testament, the Bible calls Sunday the Lord's Day because that's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Most churches worship on Sunday because of this. But we at Cornerstone do believe that ultimately God gives us freedom. He gives us freedom to set aside a day of rest and relaxation. And maybe that starts Saturday evening and goes through Sunday. Maybe it's your Saturday. Maybe sometimes it's Friday or a different day of the week because you have to work on the weekends. We see this in Scripture, Romans 14, 5 through 6a. We already read this earlier, but I'm going to read it again. It says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. See, we don't have to worship on a specific day of the week, but we do have to worship Jesus And we have to worship in faith. See, the when is less important than the who we worship and the how we worship and the how we rest and the who we're resting with because we're resting with Christ. For us as humans, that's kind of hard because we like law. We like like specific guidelines. We like black and white. And I do think, I I don't want you to hear me say that, like, well, then we don't have to gather together to worship. No, the scriptures say don't neglect meeting together. The scripture calls us to to worship God together and even at times to rest together. But I think there is freedom. Now, our foundation verse, the verse that we're memorizing, tells us something similar. It tells us this, that Jesus is our Sabbath day. I'm going to read this verse, but it's a little confusing to think about a person being a day. How can Jesus be Monday? How can Jesus be Tuesday? But remember, our days of the week are actually named after Greek gods. Thursday is named after Thor. So it's really not that far off to think of God, of Jesus Christ, as a day, as a Sabbath day. Colossians 2, 16 through 17 says this. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. This is complicated. This this is challenging. You don't understand this with your first read. It's a mystery that somehow the Sabbath was given to Israel 
to point them towards Christ, that, that even, even though a day is wonderful, a day of rest is awesome, it is but a dim shadow in comparison to the absolute whole life, whole spiritual rest we have through Jesus Christ. That through Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven. That through Jesus Christ, you can enter into God's presence. You can pray to the Lord of the universe and know that God is not angry at you. He loves you. That, my friend, is rest. Remember how Moses led the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt? How he led them out of slavery? Jesus leads us out of our slavery. Jesus leads us out of our sin, out of our need to overwork, our need to always perform. How is Jesus our Sabbath day? Jesus wins our rest on the cross. Through himself, he gives us peace with God. Sabbath rest sets us free because Jesus sets us free. Sabbath rest sets us free because Jesus sets us free. Are you living like you're enslaved, like you're still in bondage in Egypt? Or are you living in the freedom that Christ Jesus calls you to? If you don't know Jesus yet, you don't know this freedom. You can come to church, you can have times of rest and relaxation, but you don't know true spiritual rest. Come talk to me after the service service if you want to experience that. Sabbath rest sets us free. Jesus sets us free. Let's pray. Father God, help us to take rest seriously. Help us to take Jesus seriously. Help us to experience the freedom that we have in Christ. Would you bless this offering? It is an act of worship to give of our money to you. It hurts. It's a sacrifice, but we know that you are pleased with sacrifice. Most of all, you are pleased with your son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice he was for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.